But it's Fatal from Fatal Affair. We are now on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and Apple. Catch us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're back again. It is Fatal Fanfare number 8, and thank you for joining me. I am your host, Fatal, and as always, today we have an incredible show. But I'm gonna get the, I'm not gonna bury the lead here, I've got a special guest today. His name is at Kill Crizzy. His real name is Christian. Christian, say hi to the world. Uh, hello. It is me, Christian, Crizzy, Chris... Something, don't drink that. <laughs> yeah, we've got coffee today that we got before the show, and somebody tried to give me a macchiato. Macchiato, man. Yeah, wasn't my favorite thing, but it is June 22nd, and as always, support your local comic shops, comicshoplocator.com, localcomic.shop. First, starting off with the news, we saw a Hyundai commercial featuring the new Captain America from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Sam Wilson, and Caitlin Olsen, the Scarlet Witch herself. Showing up side by side when they haven't even showed up side by side in a movie together, let alone some car commercial. I mean, it's still cool. It's not even like my birthday. It's not even Super Bowl season. It's pretty sweet. Jamila Jamil will star as villain Titania in the new Marvel series She-Hulk slated for a 2022 release on Disney+. And she's actually our deep dive at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that as uh, we teach my buddy Christian here who She-Hulk is. Some photos have surfaced from the set uh, of director Andy Muschietti's The Flash movie, and uh, you might want to go check him out because it features a Batman that we're all actually very familiar with. Michael Keaton is back with Ezra Miller, and these set photos kind of look like he's instructing him or aiding him in some sort of decision, and it, you know they're outside of the Capitol building. You know, I can only imagine what The Flash has to do there, especially with billionaire Bruce Wayne in... If now it's 2021 and we have old Michael Keaton, it opens up all sorts of possibilities. What has Bruce Wayne been doing in Gotham for the past 50 years, especially without like Harvey Dent as an influence? And in the same in the same photos, we see Sasha Calais, Callie, I hope I'm saying that right, as Supergirl, sporting full costume. It looks a little funny to me, but you know, after all the CGI and the right angles, I'm sure it's going to look badass. Flash is coming November 4th, 2022. R.L. Stein is making a new Netflix trilogy of movies called Fear Street, and the first two got their, uh, their rating. They're both rated R, which is something crazy coming from a kid's author, kid's children novel author, but, you know, he makes horror movies, so nonetheless, when we are grown up ourselves, we should allow him to grow up with us. Fear Street 1 is going to take place in 1994 in the aftermath of a brutal tragedy in Shadyside, Ohio. A group of teens discover that a series of horrifying events that have plagued their town over many years might not be random and that they might be the next victims. Fear Street 1978 is the second movie with Camp Nightwing. I wonder if that was intentional for comic book purposes, is divided by the campers and counselors who hail from the prosperous town of Sunnyvale and the campers and maintenance staffers from the downtrodden town of Shadyside. And then they have the third movie coming out, 1666, which hasn't gotten its rating yet. It does have a synopsis, and it seems like it's going back to the Salem witch trials sort of idea, the colonial town, group of teenagers, and it is about witchcraft, so I wouldn't doubt it. Netflix is releasing all films this summer a couple weeks apart from each other. 
1994 is coming out July 2nd. Fear Street Part 2, 1978 is coming out July 9th. And Fear Street Part 3, 1666 on July 16th. So check that out on Netflix streaming service. The upcoming American Gigolo movie is coming to Showtime with star John Bernthal of Daredevil and Walking Dead fame. I mean, or you could just say Punisher, right? Because he did get his own origin series well-deserved. So, you know, John Bernthal's coming back to shout at me in full bass. Close enough. Uh, he's almost like a Batman, like an urban Batman. That's it. I think that's it. The story is based... Uh, on the 1980 movie of the same name, which starred Richard Gere as Julian Kay, a high-end male escort who is accused of a murder he did not commit. The series will pick up 15 years after he was arrested in the film. HBO Max has released the first teaser trailer for DC's Titans Season 3. Dude, if you're reading the same notes I am for this show, all I wrote was holy shit. Holy shit! Dude, comma, holy shit, <laughs> comma. Yep, that's it. Okay, the con- the other comma's a typo. But we saw Jason Todd. We saw Jason Todd from not only the Teen Titans, but of Batman fame, who's one of the, he's the second Robin. Jason Todd goes into a carnival to enact what would be the Under the Red Hood storyline. He creates it. He breaks into it himself. He almost did it himself instead of like Ra's al Ghul contracting to kidnap Robin. It's pretty nuts. Uh, We see the bloody crowbar. We see what would be a Joker figure standing over Jason Todd. It's bloody. It's gruesome. Everybody looked frightened in different scenes that didn't even have anything to do with the same scene until you finally get a reveal at the anti-hero Red Hood. The new season will introduce Savannah Welch as Barbara Gordon, Jay Lucergo, Lucergo as Jim Tim Drake, Curran Walters as Red Hood and Vincent Carthizer has been cast in the role of Jonathan Crane, as we know, the Scarecrow, Batman villain. Everything's coming back to Batman and Teen Titans. You know, I know they have a lot of that property to play with, so it's kind of cool that they're getting down to the nitty gritty, especially as Batman on the opposition of the Teen Titans. He's on their team, but in a sense that he haunts Tim Drake, uh, not Tim Drake, Dick Grayson, and that's going to be very interesting. Dick Grayson, uh, Robin? Yeah, Dick Grayson is the first Robin. Yeah. Titans um, Season 3 is set to premiere August 12th. So, all, that's all for the news, but we're getting right into the Gay Pride Spotlight of the week, and that is Dakin Akihiro, also known as the Horseman of Death, Mongrel, or as fans know him, the Dark Wolverine. Dakin was born when he was ripped from his mother's womb, leaving his mother dead at the hands of Romulus. But Dakin survived using the mutant gene of super regeneration, or more specifically survival under any condition, from his father, James Logan Howlett, Wolverine. Raised by an adoptive family, Dakin survived through a challenging and diverse life, eventually finding himself captured by S.H.I.E.L.D., where he confronted his father, Wolverine, in a S.H.I.E.L.D. holding cell where he left Wolverine dead with his gut sliced open. He later joined the Dark Avengers as Wolverine himself with a matching set of powers except his middle claw coming out of his wrist, like an Assassin's Creed Hidden Blade. He's got all three of Wolverine's original claws just kind of misplaced. What would the unnatural growth of Wolverine be affected by actual human genes, you know? What would be normal to a human body to Wolverine's body? How would displacing those claws cause for a more natural human being? Dakin has been portrayed as bisexual, having engaged in sexual situations with both men and women starting in Wolverine Origins number 11. 
Even said to have had relationships with a male employee under Norman Osborne, Dakin has used his mutant ability of pheromones to manipulate the engagement of both male and female partners. Even having kissed Daredevil villain Bullseye in the past comics, his willingness to attempt his pheromones on renowned gay superhero Hulkling, to no effect, he has moved on during his time in the X-Factor run, where he entered a relationship with the mutant Aurora, twin sister of Northstar. Dakin embodies true acceptance of all sides, whether in friend, romance, or family, shown when taking up the mantle of Wolverine, where he had once hated his father, showing his willingness for a better world in almost every diverse scenario that presents him along the way, from Japan to the X-Mansion, and that's why Dakin is our June Gay Pride Spotlight of the Week. Moving on to... Notable! Number! Ones is the comic review show where we show you previews coming out for this week all the number one series that you can get into without knowledge of any prior series great places to pick up great spots or arcs to grab in light of not knowing any of these companies something to get into that could be marvel could be dc or could be neither it could be something all its own First, we have American Mythology Productions with Hatchet Unstoppable Horror Number 1 by James Q. Horick coming out June 23rd. The tales of Victor Crowley have always been terrifying, but now American Mythology opens the door to an even darker path as we deliver three new stories steeped in grueling horror. A creature of pure rage and anger, Victor Crowley savagely defends his remote swamp home, teaching this true meaning of despair to interlopers of his domain before tearing them horribly asunder. That is Hatchet Unstoppable Horror number one. Archie Comics coming out with BNV Friends Forever Summer number one, June 23rd. Betty and Veronica from Archie Comics are back in a summer release special, which is sure to have an anime beach episode all over it. That It's all it looks like is just the embodiment of an anime beach filler. So fanfare? Fanfare? That what's called uh, uh what is it called fan service fan service i wouldn't say so much fan service but definitely i mean you're gonna see the girls in a different light in a more playful light i mean if that's not all slice archie of, is slice, is coming of age slice of life fan service that's all archie comics this is slice of life i think uh it's time for some fun in the sun with bffs betty and veronica from beach parties to tropical island getaways summer days are always a lot brighter with betty and veronica june 23rd that's b and v friends forever summer number one Coming from Dark Horse Comics, Black Hammer Reborn, number one, by Jeff Lumiere. Now and 20 years later, and Lucy and the world have moved on. Living in the suburbs of Spiral City, Lucy is married and has children, but all is not blissful. Her marriage is falling apart, her job has reached a dead end, and for some mysterious reason, she hasn't picked up the hammer in years. But as her domestic life begins to crumble, the secrets of the last 20 years and the reasons Lucy really gave up the Black Hammer begin to surface. Threatening her family and peace, she has tried so hard to find for herself. Gotta find herself. I think it looks a lot like Black Lightning. I mean... Gotta find herself. In, Isn't Black Lightning grown-up Static Shock? Or am I well, wrong? In a, he, it's not. He has the show on... Yeah, it's CW, and it's not so much adult Black Lightning, or adult Static Shock, as it is his own superhero. Just because he's, like, you know, in the same ballpark, superpowers and everything else, I don't think they have the rights to actually say Static Shock. With the new movie coming out and everything, they probably... Are they not under the same comic? Uh, both DC, right? Dark Horse and DC can be related. They can be affiliated in the same universe, but not given proper canon. If DC wanted, none of these characters would Static exist. Shock? Technically DC. Right? I believe. I believe. If I'm wrong on that, it's definitely Dark Horse, but I believe DC. Because uh, Static growing up, he was in the Justice League cartoon. Was he? Yeah, he came up with his best friend in the Justice League, and he asked Batman, where's Robin? And at the same time, they had the Teen Titans uh, show going on. 
Batman said he went to join the Titans, which kind of gave that time period, you know, canon. Mm. You know, it gave them kind of an idea where they were at. There's a universe. And Black Hammer's going to have to pick up the hammer as a retired superhero. And Black Hammer Reborn number one, June 23rd. Imogen of Weirding Way number one. Mike Mignola, while on the job in Denmark with her fellow riders, weirders, Imogen, here's some odd news, hundreds of refugees fleeing the spread of Nazism are traveling into the nearby forest and never returning. Helping a young man from his refugee family will bring Imogen face to face with some of the worst that the war can inflict upon those in need and make her ask the difficult question of what is she really fighting for? It's got a lot of colorful vocabulary in that. I want to know what a weirder is versus a rider. All I'm thinking about is Emogen or Emogen Heap. I was wondering the, the same, same thing. Name. I was wondering the same thing. Is it Emogen or Emogen? One of those. Emogen. IDW Publishing with Sonic the Hedgehog 30th Anniversary Special by Ian Flynn, Gail Galligan, Griffin McElroy, Justin McElroy, and Travis McElroy. The reason for so many writers is there are a couple stories in this one. You don't just get one comic you get multiple at the price of a multiple comic sort of special but june 23rd 2021 you're gonna get 30 years of going fast it's time for fans to celebrate the speediest hedgehog of all time it's unbelievable birthday celebration for sonic the hedgehog with this first classic sonic special in the first uh, story we see seasons of chaos sonic's not alone with a little help from his friends miles tails prowler as we know him just tails or player two you want to be tails with your friend sonic it shouldn't be a multiplayer game unless i'm knuckles you know of equal importance but then you also have knuckles in this comic with amy rose and mighty the armadillo and ray the flying squirrel they race fight and fly ray serves as like a comic relief of the franchise for those who aren't uh, uh, very familiar with ray the flying squirrel or mighty the armadillo he's slightly younger than his best friend mighty the armadillo and is far less strong than mighty clearly you know as his namesake gives him uh, the credit of having. But he makes up for that lack of strength with pure enthusiasm and excitement. He has a f an affinity for adventure, often gliding to high places and get a view of the land below. Ray is basically like a powerless Tails. And He's plot, a really funny Tails. Plot twist, he gets tired of being powerless and then he just murders everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, if he steals anything from Tails, he might have the technology to do it. He's gonna steal his life. Oh my goodness. In the second issue, it's Dr. Eggman's birthday. So many hijinks can go go wrong there. What can Eggman want for his birthday? And what are the robots that are controlled by Dr. Eggman want? What are they going to uh, deliver to you, him? You're asking me what Eggman wants? He wants to go to his local diner, grab himself a couple good old sunny side up eggs. And he wants to put them with the whole plate as a breakfast. He wants to grab those eggs. He wants to get his toast. He wants it firm and So sick. you're telling me the Eggman wants eggs. Yeah, absolutely. For breakfast. All right. Uh, I if mean, he like eggs, he would change his name. He'd, be, he'd just be Dr. E. What I'm familiar with is that he wants woodland critters locked up in, in packages that can be released by a single button. Because when he was a kid, he got bit by a little rodent when he was trying to play with it <laughs> in the backyard. And Mama was like, hey, don't touch that rodent. And he was like, I'm, but I'm Eggman. I'm Egg Boy. See, the older that he gets... Him. The older that he gets, he somehow develops cooler features, or I guess sleeker features. He goes from having these big, wide, black sclera eyes with this gambit fashion sort of eyes to, you know, just some straight pimp anime style, small, you know, what are they called? Specs? I'm going to call them specs. Dr. Eggman be sporting specs and a handlebar mustache like no other. He thinks he's Hulk Hogan. He's outdoing my boy. With goggles. With less uh, fur boas. And then the last story is... 
to be announced. You might just have to get the special to find out what that third st uh, special is in this comic. They're keeping it under wraps for now, which might be one of the coolest things ever. Especially with their playfulness of the multiverse in that franchise. You get three titles and four panels on the cover of that comic too. What does that say about that? Is that literally just in reference to the first story? But when I saw this and I saw the four different seasons, maybe it means it's timeless. Presenting all four seasons in their own, in their own picture, in their own period. I think it means Sonic's so fast, he runs faster than light. But at the end of the day, you can find out that uh, can't run faster than pain. <laughs> you can't outrun your problems. Can't outrun, can't outrun your pain. The last story in this special is a mystery, but it is written by all three brothers that name that were named before the McElroy brothers. So all three of them collaborating. If they're anything like the Russos, you might get some Endgame style Sonic conclusions. And that is Sonic the Hedgehog 38th Anniversary Special by IDW Publishing, June 23rd. Next by Image Comics, vinyl number one of six. June 23rd, by Doug Wagner, Plastic Creators Doug Wagner and Daniel Hilliard return for Eisner Award-winning David Stewart for an unsettling tale of psychopaths, sweet love, and a serial killer named Walter, when Walter's best friend, the FBI agent charged with his capture, is kidnapped by a death cult of all female sunflower farmers, Walter finds himself deep within an underground labyrinth, filled with secrets and monsters, but are their monsters more horrific than his? Coming June 23rd, vinyl number one. Spawn Universe number one by Todd McFarlane, June 23rd. This one I'm insanely excited about because after 800, 900, what are they on in Spawn? It's like the one piece of comics. It's been featured in literally everything. I don't think it's been in the Marvel Universe because Spawn is way too dark. For... They're making a movie, aren't they? Well, they're making a movie and uh, McFarlane is overseeing it himself. Yeah, it's the same like Venom producer, right? Um, you... The guy who made Venom, yes, back in the early 90s, is Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane came up with all the character design, everything you could want for the character of Venom. But his baby, his his pride, is Spawn. Todd McFarlane's even done art for Assassin's Creed Black Flag. He does everything. He's actually just came out with an Avatar The Last Airbender action figure line. And it's incredible. And Spawn Universe number one is going to tackle a lot of the heroes within Spawn's grander universe, which I guess you could call the Image Comic Universe or the Dark Horse Universe. I don't know where they're going to pull all these heroes from, but I really hope they bring in Haunt. Because halfway through my Spawn acknowledgement, my reading of Spawn, there was Haunt. Man, it just started raining heavily, didn't it? That's that Florida weather. Florida. <laughs> That's that Florida weather. I'm sure in five minutes, it'll be sunny, dry, and still hot as hell. Plot twist, a fucking hurricane comes. I mean, 94 degrees, the hot air is just swirling around, creating some sort of terrible storm in the air, I'm sure. Next is Marvel Comics with Gamma Flight number one, a five-part series by Al Ewing coming out uh, June 23rd, spinning out of the Immortal Hulk series. Bruce Banner's Gamma-powered allies go on the run. Gamma Flight had one job, find and stop the Incredible Hulk. But when push came to smash, they sided with the Green Goliath, and the human world intends to make them regret it. Puck, absorbing man, Titania, that sounds a little familiar, right, from the top of the show, and maybe a little later into the show, uh, a Hulk villain that's definitely earned her name over the past decades as, as somebody to be messed with. So if you don't know a lot about Titania or even the Absorbing Man, who now we might see in Loki considering he's his sidekick, uh, you, you 
this might be an introduction as to why they're bringing in all these characters. And you can learn a lot about this in Gamma Flight number one. You will also see Dr. Sasquatch, Dr. Charlene McGowan, and a horribly changed Rick Jones are fugitive from every known authority but a team that full of Gamma is bound to break before long. Al Ewing, Crystal Frazier, and Lan Medina mastermind of a whole new world of Gamma. Pick that up June 23rd by Marvel Comics. Everybody loves a Marvel comic. Come on, guys. Everybody hates Marvel. To finish out the notable number one, we have Titan Comics with Extraordinary Number One by V.E. Schwab. Coming June 23rd, expand deeper into the world of Schwab's critically acclaimed villain novel. After surviving a deadly crash, Charlotte Tills becomes extraordinary, gaining the ability to foresee a person's death. But when she looks into her own future, only to face a notorious extraordinary killer, Eli ever stares back. I like their use of puns in this. It's like almost like punny alliteration. I like it. Not anything new in TV this week. And somebody's gonna be watching their favorite new season going, you son of a bitch. Loki, Wednesday. Well, Loki has already been on this show. Loki. We okay. deep dove Loki a couple weeks back. And, side, side note, Loki and we do a Loki, We do a Loki deep dive show every Thursday. Subtle reminder. <laughs> hey, subtle reminder, go check out the Fatal Foils Loki series on Fatal Affair. Moving on to movies, and I'm really glad I have Kill Crazy with me for this one, because I need somebody to talk about the movie Luca with on Disney Plus, directed by Enrico Casarosa, that came out June 18th. Jacob Tremblay played Luca Paguro. Did you, what did you think of this? It was a movie. It was a What did you think movie? of the little boy? Did you think his motives were in the right area? Did you think that what he should have done yeah. was, that he went against his parents, like most yeah, Disney it's, it's protagonists a general, general go. story of like being restricted to something and then wanting to do something more. But do you want it? Restriction. Do you want it only because you're told you can't have it? It's a story of freedom. We want the things we can't have. But why is this his freedom? He could have chose anything. He was just fascinated by it. That's what makes it's, it a coming of age story. It's the setting that isn't his own, and he wants to learn more. He wants to expand his horizons as is mm. does anybody in a small town is like hey i want to get the fuck out of the small town screw the small town i hate all of you hey i but, relate to that growing up in florida yeah, i that's definitely like, what movies about this that. are about is just you know being in a small area and your parents are like hey you can't, can't leave this house you know the world's dangerous <laughs> finger wag wag the world wag. is dangerous the world is dangerous he's what there. made it dangerous half of the time being a sea monster i mean as a sea monster does he have traits to kill other things does he hunt are there prey realistically yeah they're they're probably eating you know mostly fish yeah but okay is it aquaman rules and can they speak to this fi these fish um see i don't know yeah, yeah? Didn't, didn't they talk to i don't well they talked some... to a lot of fish in there but he also talked to another fish known as alberto scorfano voiced by jack dylan grazer that was his best friend through the whole movie i don't i didn't really see the best friend jealousy play coming up I don't know. but i mean you know i'm not gonna lie man we, we are in june we are in gay pride month i saw this movie in is as beautiful as it could be and everybody could be a stucky fan of steve rogers and bucky barnes in some sort of gay uh meta relationship meta universe world where both of them are in some sort just, of homosexual relationship yowie of <laughs> i think luca and alberto had a love 
had a love that was deeper. By the end of that movie, you didn't see the little girl giving him everything he ever wanted. She oh, was you, joining him. Just him. being like jealous of her type of thing. He was jealous. He ca- he acted like he didn't care. It was almost like playing hard to get for him yeah. in the beginning of the movie. And when he finally got his best friend, who was everything in both worlds to him, a sea monster and part human, they had this secret that they shared. It seemed like a love. Well, he didn't have anything else. Well, yeah, and kind of from that spawned a love, a very beautiful love. He had a fantasy where he was calling out the boy's name when he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I think that went beyond friendship, and I think Disney's not afraid to demonstrate it's that without having subjective. to say subjective. You could, either way, it's, it's you know, at the, at the surface, it's just, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have many friends, and you have that one friend, and they become like your little world, and then they become friends with other friends, and they kind of drift off, and then you're kind of like alone. So it could be obviously that, which is more, more than likely the case. But, you know, you could, you know, that could also branch off into other shit. I just, I agree. <laughs> It can branch off and can be taken millions of different ways. But like if any of my friends buy a Vespa and allow me part ownership of the Vespa, homie, that might not come back <laughs> the same way. I'm going to say, yo, my sea monster friends wanted to play with the Vespa by the beach. And long story short, now you've got a wet Vespa. I don't know. Speaking of getting wet... <laughs> on the Italian Riviera is the setting of this movie. An unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. A classic coming-of-age story featuring jaw-dropping visuals, a colorful cast of talent, and classic Italian culture tributes. It's set in 19 the 1950s to the 1960s. I mean, you've got the start of swing music. You've got, you know, immediately after World War II, wor- the world is starting to open open up their feelings again. They're starting to play. They're starting to dance and celebrate. And especially in remote Italy, they've got this this music in them more powerful than most because they haven't been beaten down by mass society, by some sort of government. Sure, they live, you know, within the province of Italy, but it just seemed so let's love for the sake of loving. And I guess that's something Disney's really great at highlighting. You know, it starts out feeling like a Disney Channel original movie that I once saw called The 13th Year. Did you ever see that movie? What is it? <laughs> I know you know. I don't know but what it is. For the sake of this conversation, I know you know. I don't. It is about, this is a Disney Channel original movie in the early 90s about a kid who, when he gets wet, he starts to turn into a merman. Because he finds out at his roots, he's the son of a merman, or a mermaid. And he's always chasing, uh, coming back to his mother. And now I question, talking about this movie, where is his father which could be just another like mucky Disney conversation. He's Percy Jackson. He could be per- he could be Poseidon. He could be Percy Jackson. It, we get a very grounded story in Luca about two boys that become best friends over their sense of exploration and finding their place in the universe. Now with two worlds to consider, one beckons the interest of a curious sea monster named Luca. Having to hide his ability to transform into a human from his parents, he frolics amongst the humans much like the whims of Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Did you see any of that? I think I saw well, the entire time. Well, he's not hiding. Like, they all know they can turn into human. Like, I don't think they did. Because I the mom, when the mom got on the shore, she couldn't recognize her husband. And I would I would think that they went on yeah, a date just, outside the water at some point. I'm sure they, like, avoid it from, like, some childhood trauma or, like, their parents. Well, their parents weren't like that because... You know, grandma. That's a different but, conversation entirely. That's talking yeah. about the upbringings of people before yeah, the grandma like, was just like, boomers. "Yeah, screw you guys. I'm gonna do what I want." But yeah, the grandma was on shore by the end of that. <laughs> she was like, "I come here every week." Always, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
She was there all the time. So I think it's just, you know, overprotective parents worrying about, you know, humans. See, okay, now and I'm... It's like, hey, finger wag, don't go. Don't okay, go. but we get past the, the pro prohibition of going on shore for the sake of safety, right? But And then we get another threat when, that he is a human in the form of a bully. The threat's never really clear because we're in a, a town of, s not sea monster hunters, well, but the, fishermen. The movie basically covers prejudice for the most part. It's that's like, very true too, yeah. but that's why people look into the X-Men that way. And yeah, it's the same situation like mutants. Well, mutants it wasn't about the Civil Rights Act originally in X-Men. It was sure a team of very diverse and international superheroes, but it was that coming together that brought up the issue of civil rights. Mm -hmm. But even after going through the prejudice, we get the cheesiest, most laughable villain of all time in a Disney movie. We get this smarmy rich guy on a Vespa. <laughs> He's the least scary person in this he's, film. He's your typical, like, yeah, I win this tournament every year. Worship me. Yeah, he I, wanted I just this royalty. automatic praise from everybody in Italy. He's like, I'm the heart of this he place. Wins, he wins the Vespa every year, you know? He wins the he wins the race. He wins it because he's got the newest manufactured machine off the line. It's the most brand new, beautiful always, thing. Always winning. Oh, God, you can't, <laughs> you can't hate on the stunner, man. He is definitely stunting on people. But there is a much more menacing, menacing villain that they introduced that they never use as a villain the main care the little girl what's her name julia talking about her dad yeah julia's father is the most brutal motherfucker alive he's got a missing hand from a sea monster what i was assume is a sea monster could be a fucking shark i don't know what he stuck his hand down but this man is what seven one 400 pounds of muscle and at one point here's how i knew that the threat was going to be non-existent inside of this character the conflict doesn't exist in this character whether it comes to prejudice is a different story depending on his understanding of it because he's willing to fish he even chops a fish's head off he's like oh, i kill anything that swims but when it came to love he dismissed everything he once he fell in love with who his daughter was falling in love with in terms of friendship he was immediately on their side he, when he, when, who's the kid's name? Alfonso? Alberto. Once Alberto runs away and they go, don't worry about it. He'll be back soon. He's handling his own thing. He goes, oh, I'm going to call Alberto just to make sure. I'm going to oh, go yeah, find he, him. He goes, yeah, looks, goes just to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Everything about him stopped being threatening part, part through. Mm -hmm. Showed his very warm intentions. Uh, they left the butt of the joke character being the only villain by the end of this movie when everybody switched sides. It was very, uh, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Irregardless, the little girl was the best part of the movie for me. She was the comedic relief. She was the motivation. She was the glue that held this together. And I'm glad that she's going forward with Luca. And maybe if we get a sequel, you might see him missing Alberto. Well, she's also the adventurous underdog. Yeah, she even called them underdogs. So, like, she, she's, like, the outcast that's, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a win. I work hard. I'm I'm a nobody. Let's and she puked the all the time. And, uh... Spulia. They were new to the world, basically. And she was trying... She was, like, that one person that was like, Hey, let's go let's go travel the world together type of thing. Yeah, she was so my that's favorite like, part. That's like... She's like the, uh... Like, on a stick. Like, when you hang on a treat. And she's like that... The thing that Oh, uh, the carrot chasing. on the stick. She's that yeah, motivation. She's the, she's what they're the chasing. on a stick that... You know, they they go along with because like mean, she's yeah. the she's the world yeah, she, essentially because she, she's like explaining all these things. Absolutely, she was on the train before Luca was on the train. She was gung ho. I think the movie should have been called Julia. And for the reason the movie was not called Julia, I'm giving it a seven and a half out of ten. That's my official fatal rating. 
Well, they, so if they named her Julia, she would have to be the main character, and then the fish people would be like the side characters. That well, she would friend. be, yeah, she would be introduced to this new. But the the movie's about being the complete outsider, which is the fish people. And you know what? That's an incredible point. All right, I change it. Crazy got me to change it. Eight out of ten. <laughs> Put that on record. What do you think, Spotify? Eight out of ten. Come on now. Then, next in movie news, we get the rated R Demon Slayer, Kametsu no Yaiba, the movie, Mugen Train. Didn't see it. I didn't see it either. I think. I'm a big Demon Slayer fan. I don't think I saw it. I'm a big anime fan. Don't they get on a train at the end of the anime as well? I can't recall. I was going to say. I thought they did. (laughs) I can't call myself a big fan because I didn't finish the first season. At the very end, they're on a train going somewhere. And, like, the new main villain that's going to be in the next season is on top of the train. Oh, so Mugen Train is canon. I think. Yeah, we need a fan to confirm this for Fatal Affair. I think that's, like, this movie is in between the seasons, I'm pretty sure. This makes sense. I'm pretty sure this movie is canon, too. Because, like, at the end of the anime, like, I'm pretty sure they're on a train. Like, I remember that. Well, if you never watch this movie, it's coming to streaming exclusively on the Funimation streaming app this week. For United States and Canada, it's coming out June 22nd in Australia and New Zealand. I'm sorry, guys. You're going to have to wait one what day. What day is the 22nd? I'm pretty sure it's the 23rd in Australia, which means that it would come out at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> time zones. They would get it first. Well. I think. Ooh. You ready for this category? Hmm. This one's fun. Video games. Video games. You know the top of the story? Video games? Well, yeah. It's Pokemon Unite. It's not called Pokemon League because, you know, League of Legends... Ooh, I didn't think about that. Let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) Let's talk about what Pokemon Unite is. Five-on-five team battles. Pokemon's first strategic team battle game coming soon. During these battles, players will catch wild Pokemon, level up and evolve their own Pokemon, and defeat opponent's Pokemon while trying to earn more points than the opposing team within the allotted time. So a MOBA. So a MOBA. It's very MOBA build fashion, because I'm assuming you start out with like a starter, probably from... Like level 1, probably 1 ability, and then you level up to abilities, get items, maybe. And maybe like the moba aspect would be like oh well i'm gonna go catch the water to a water type or i'm gonna go catch this specific pokemon you're gonna have to know your maps a lot like a moba game Mm -hmm. you're gonna have to know your types and your pokemons a lot like a moba game to participate in the end game mlg pvp of this your objectives and all that stuff you want to make sure you get your buffs and yeah whatever team fight uh, i'm pretty sure it's free to play probably which is going to be really nice to see everybody engage with this once i think they're going for a hardcore market i think they're going for people who are going to dedicate a lot of time to this because it's cross play on any device you'll be able to use your data from every single iteration of this game across everything yeah and ideally for whatever brand you're doing you want to be able to cover any form of content and you know service you possibly can for the biggest demographic definitely and if they go ea style they can or even pokemon go style which is the same thing in in the sense i'm talking about they can make microtransactions. oh well definitely if it's a free game they're gonna they're definitely gonna do that i'm wondering if it's I gonna don't know what they're gonna do for those like right. oh, you get sunglasses on your fucking squirtle <laughs> like i'm $5. hoping it's gonna i'm hoping it's gonna be more like uh you get this starter pokemon for so much money you can use this off the get bat this, get this free game and uh buy sunglasses for your squirtle for uh, five dollars Yes, sir, I'll take one of those. Or a different Uh, skin for my Squirtle, like a Squirtle Squad skin. Yeah, but like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like all Squirtle Squad is is just glasses. But that's badass. Okay, like a Pika Luchador outfit from Smash. Like like Smash. Like Smash. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think skins will be a go-to for that game at all. It's I don't know what they would do aesthetically. Like, I think they would just make it so there's a shit ton of Pokemon and then you just pay money to, like, get more of those. See, the thing that begs the question on my mind is you can use the Nintendo Switch version to play this game, which is going to have house Wi-Fi. It's going to have household Wi-Fi. Your phone is going to use the data to play the internet for this game. Mm -hmm. So what's going to be the point in bringing my Switch around? Are there going to be data plans at some point for the Nintendo Switch to allow this hardcore market to play wherever, whenever? Isn't making these Switch games more portable, much like the Nintendo DS or the Game Boy that they keep trying to iterate into all of these consoles like the Wii U? I feel like you're going to have to make a giant technological advancement in the way your marketing is done, in the way this console might perform. And if that is reaching this hardcore market, this might be the result of seeing how many hardcore players come for it. I mean, the solution is is they're just going to make a mo mobile version, and that's going to be it. This, they're it. already releasing the mobile version yeah, alongside So they have the mobile version, and then they have your, your console versions. I don't think... Like, if you're talking about putting data on, like, a console, it's not necessary for the most part. So I don't think they're going to put go through the effort and funding to try to make that happen. Yeah, maybe I am. Unless... Like, like if, like for some reason they come out with a new generation Switch and then for some reason everybody and their mother buys one and there's some reason that they would need to have data, then I'm sure they'll do it. But for the most part, like there's no reason to implement a different thing of like, you know, that big of a difference or like adding a whole other feature to a device that it's not necessary for. Because it's already mobile that exists. That's so. a very good point. And we also see the Switch version of this coming out first in July, with the mobile version scheduled to be available for download starting in September. So, you know, we get a lot of, we get, what, two months of playing with the system to figure out how that Wi-Fi is going to work, how, how mobility is going to work amongst already a half mobile console. So I'm sure that we'll get the answers a lot quicker than I think. We're also going to see a World War Z game coming out, and I wanted to talk about WarioWare Get It Together. We saw that back at E3 last week, we did a show on it, and I didn't get to mention WarioWare Get It Together. I wanted to, but in a sense, I also wanted to bring this up later, because I think as we're already talking about the technological advancement in uh, Pokemon Unite, maybe integrating, I want to see what they've got for WarioWare Get It together. In the Nintendo DS WarioWare Touch, they were using the microphone for like inflating balloons. They were using it for blowing paper ships across oh, bodies yeah. of water. They did just so many things. They used almost every button on that console in some minigame or another. So what all in the Nintendo Switch have I not seen for such innovation like WarioWare Get It Together? Is maybe like using the Joy-Con tilt controls, there's going to be something incredible. I mean, Mario Party already uses a lot of these features. There's not a microphone on the Nintendo Switch. Mm -mm, I don't think so. But is it? it is a touchscreen, right? No. I believe it is. Switch, no. I, are you sure that really? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm willing to argue that that one actually is touchscreen. The regular Switch is not, and then the light is definitely Grab not. that one. I'm telling you, grab that one over there. Let me see this. Be careful walking walking around this studio. The, the wiring management is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, give me this. Because I believe if I don't even have the Joy-Con... Boom! See? Bop, bop, bop. Little touchy touches. Well, I touch it. You don't want to touch it very often, I'm assuming, because this is a very uh, expensive piece of hardware. That might have been the Wii U's downfall. Get back over here. Get back over here. I'm gonna take a seat. So much adventure. Next to your pal, Fatal. So much, so much adventure. Hey, a lot of adventure. And speaking of adventure, we have Breath of the Wild 2 that we saw at E3 with a 2022 release date and a new trailer. 
I didn't watch the trailer, but I saw it on like a like one of those news outlet things. Like but all the, all the announced games. You're a big Breath of the Wild one fan, right? We like we have it. I've never played it. Like I've watched friends play it, and I know about the game. But I've never really played much Zelda though in general. So oh man, I never had a GameCube or. Because most Zelda games were on GameCube, right? Yeah, most of the... Well, I wouldn't well, say most. They, they were on like Game Boy. They were on SNES. They were on everything. They were on 64 as well. Yeah, they were on everything. Yeah, but Majora's I never, Ocarina? I didn't, I didn't have like many Nintendo besides like Game Boy. But I never played like Zelda. More so like Kingdom Hearts. Let's see side. if I can... I'm going to name down... I'm going to name as many as I can as fast as I can, right? And let's see how many you can... I mean, I can, I can, can name some of them. Let me just... Let me, okay, ready? Let's go in together. Skyward Sword. Yeah. Link's Awakening. Yeah. Link to the Past. Majora's Mask. Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Twilight Princess. Mm -hmm. Ah, shit. Wind Waker. Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild 2. <laughs> Breath of the Wild 1 and 2. Uh, combo Pack. Whatever, dude. Okay. Ben Drowned. Uh, Link's Awakening uh, uh, HD Remaster. Ben Drowned. Ooh, Minish Cap. Ben Drowned. What is Ben Drowned? You don't remember the creepypasta of Zelda? Ben Drowned, Ben from Majora's Mask. Shout out creepypasta. No, I don't remember this. Ben Drowned. I guess Ben Drowned. That's not a Zelda title, though, so I think I win. I think I win. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know many, many titles. Yes. Fatal wins. Fatality. Fan theories have been circulating around the plot of Breath of the Wild 2, saying that we're playing as a young Ganondorf, which so happens to look like Link, believed due to the tunic that we see Ganon wearing in a cutscene. Perhaps. Would you want to play as Ganon? Gotta give somebody a fancy sword at some point. I mean, Ganon has fancy magic. His hands glow purple. He doesn't need a sword. He's uh, he's like a purple thumb guy from Spy Kids, but Marvel. Oh my goodness, I couldn't, I couldn't remember Spy Kids to save my life. Uh, you know the thumb people from Spy Kids? I just know Elijah Wood. Oh, I do know the thumb people. Yeah, those were weirdos. Yeah, it's like like that um, combined with uh, purple guy from Marvel, main antagonist. Thanos? Thanos. Ah, okay. Yeah. Welcome to the Fatal sounds. Fanfare. Yeah, you forget Thanos. the name Thanos? Everybody. Oh, come on now. <laughs> and there's another uh, fan theory for Breath of the Wild 2 where the islands floating around Hyrule could mean that we're playing in the past again, supporting the young Ganon theory, and that Link's new robot arm is the Sheikah Slate. So that's where you're going to cast your spells, is this crazy cyber, cybernetic cyberpunk 2077 enhancement. Infinity Gauntlet. Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> There's a lot of buzz about this game, and I'm all ready for it. We are now at the end of the show. Almost. So, almost, almost, I mean, almost, we definitely have a deep dive to do, which we call the deep end here. And the deep end today is on She-Hulk. But wait, we gotta get on the diving, diving board first. Well, we also gotta call for Adult Swim so all the kids get the F out of the way for my cannonballs. Alright, so I'm climbing up the ladder, you see me. Yeah. Everybody's in the pool right now. Alright. The audience, everybody's yeah. chilling in the pool, getting all soggy. Hey mom, check this out! Soggy. Yeah, Billy, get the fuck away from that! It's uh, soggy skin, soggy skin, guys. Yeah, girls. terrible it's smelling like, bathrooms. Yeah, you know, you, just, you know, it smells like chlorine and this. Um, it, ooh, gross. I mean, you, you're you're telling me Billy's holding his bladder for me? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think he is. I don't know. Anyways, you're on the ladder. You're, you're climbing up the ladder. You get on the diving board. You're a little bit worried, but you're at the end of the diving board. How do you want to jump in the? How do you want to jump in the pool? You want to tell everybody how you're gonna jump in? Tell them. Tell them about She-Hulk. I'm gonna do a pencil dive. All right. I'm gonna do a big pencil dive into She-Hulk. All right. Don't break the law. You won't like her when you break the law. 
Lawyer and cousin of Bruce Banner, Jennifer Walters, received an emergency blood transfusion when her cousin, or from her cousin, after being shot due to her father's involvement with the crime lord, Nicholas Trask. She-Hulk was created by Stan Lee and John Bushima and first in appeared in the Savage She-Hulk number one, February 1980. With DNA similar to Bruce Banner, Jennifer, now infused with Bruce's gamma-irradiated blood, developed green skin, incredible strength, and endurance, and an insatiable taste of rage, now as the savage She-Hulk. Her super strength has even been enhanced by Isan the Celestial. She now wields power greater than Thor, Captain Marvel, and rivaling the Incredible Hulk himself, easily being able to surpass this threshold if she absorbs any excess radiation or has an elevated emotional state of rage or hysteria. Jennifer is super durable and impervious to pain or disease. Her skin is resistant to extreme temperatures as well as cuts, impacts, and punctures. Her enhanced physiology renders her immune to all of Earth's diseases, coming complete with a healing factor of her own, allowing her to completely recover from any injury within minutes. She operates in the Marvel Universe as a criminal defense attorney for superheroes and beyond, even defending the likes of vampire Michael Morbius. The the Avengers, and the Fantastic Four in the court of law. With all of the powers of the Incredible Hulk, but slightly less intense, it was briefly stated as to why she doesn't look like a muscle-engulfed behemoth. It was due to her subconscious's desire to look like a normal woman. Jennifer has joined up with the Fantastic Four in the Thing's absence. She has joined up with the Harlem Hero for Hire, Heroes for Hire, where she had relations, relationships with superhero Luke Cage and even the Avengers until controlled by a villain, which led to the ripping of Vision in half. Much like Jazz from Transformers when Megatron put, you know, you want a piece of me? No, I want two. And he pulls it in half. That was my boy Vision, thanks to the She-Hulk. That ended her tenure with the Avengers. She-Hulk took the side of Iron Man during the Civil War, even though she gave law advice to both Captain America and Tony Stark, eventually finding herself suing Peter Parker on behalf of her father-in-law, J. Jonah Jameson. In the midst of Civil War II, Jennifer succumbs to death from cardiac arrest. The Incredible Hulk has never had a heart attack until the She-Hulk. You, wow, that is unbelievable. I don't even imagine his heart. I would like to see a comic where, kind of like All Might in Midoriya, Midoriya's body not being able to absorb All Might's power in whole. What if her heart, I guess that is the concept, her heart didn't grow with her in the magnitude of gamma radiation. It allowed her to die from cardiac arrest. Crossing into a notable amount of Marvel's most famous story arcs, She-Hulk has been in Old Man Logan comics, Spider-Gwen, Future Imperfect, Earth-X, Marvel Zombies, and so much more. She-Hulk is now coming to Disney Plus in 2022 with a 10-episode slate starring Tatiana Maslini, Mark Ruffalo, and Tim Roth. Tim oh, Roth. So they're going to have regular Hulk in there. Well, they're going to have regular Hulk from the MCU, but they're also going to have the Abomination from the Universal Incredible Hulk picture back in 2008, mm -hmm. 2007. Tim Roth. That kind of confirms a lot of the property merging going on. But we'll talk about that in a second. The show was created by Jessica Gao. Here's that second. Now we can talk about that. Tim Roth being the Abomination means that in Multiverse of Madness, where we're getting Alfred Molina... Actually, is that Spider-Man No Way Home? Let's theorize for a second in a, in a little more focused of an idea. Let me get my words together here. Alfred Molina being a Spider-Man villain and showing back up in the MCU is kind of confirming that all of these other movies exist, right? Mm -hmm. If I was Disney and I just bought all of these properties, I would find a way to 
canonize them given the confusion fans might have watching them on the same streaming service. If you can somehow unite all the shows on a streaming service in one universe, you can potentially recast anybody. You can put Tim Roth in the MCU proper. You can put, which they're already doing, Doc Ock from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man in the MCU proper. Jamie Foxx can come back as Electro with a better written script. And his character design wasn't terrible. That's pure energy Electro from the comics. That's what happens when he loses his human vessel. But that's not where we wanted to start. And especially with Let There Be Carnage in Venom 2, you can make all of these people canon. You can bring in Carnage without ever having to make an MCU Carnage movie or a Carnage featurette in any MCU proper. Tom Holland's going to be in the new Venom movie, isn't he? Not that I know, is he? I thought I saw his name in the fucking cast. I would have to... I would have to check that out again. Because they're starting to merge Venom and MCU, I thought. If they are merging Venom, all of this makes sense. All of this theory doesn't even sound like a theory. It sounds like me just stating the obvious. But if this is the case, absolutely. Oh, uh, that works. <laughs> well, that's the end of the Fatal Fanfare number eight for me. For at KillCrizzy on Instagram. Check them out, everybody. We spread love around Fatal Affair. You got anything to say? Appreciate y'all on Spotify. Hey, <laughs> we all appreciate y'all. Everybody who supports this show, we thank you so, so very much. Make sure to follow us. Check us out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Fatal Affair. And for at KillCrizzy on Instagram, at TikTok, uh, TikTok at KillCrizzy. I'm your boy Fatal at Fatal Affair Cast on Twitter and Fatal Affair on Twitch. Thank you, guys. And this has been a show. Catch us on Google, Spotify, Apple, and Stitcher. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's coffee time. Coffee time. (laughs) Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Fatal from Fatal Affair. This show is now available on Google, Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Thanks for checking out and supporting the show. You can catch us on Facebook at Fatal Affair Cast or on Twitter at Fatal Affair Cast. Thanks for supporting. Later.